Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to the Attacking Scrum podcast, where Welsh rugby matters. Time to switch our attention to international rugby this week, as excitement ramps up ahead of the Autumn Internationals. We'll be previewing the Scotland game, picking our team for that opening fixture, and we'll even be debating the future of the Lions. We've also got an interview with the late Welsh legend Gareth Williams' son, the, um, of course, the Bridge End and Lions back row forward, who sadly died a few months ago. But we'll be speaking to his son, Mark, about a charity fundraising game that is coming up in a few weeks. And, of course, we'll be answering some of your questions, too. Joining me to do this is top journalist and pundit, Stefan Thomas. Hi, Steph. How are you? Not bad, thanks. How are you? Yeah, all right. Thank you. bit cold, but extra hours, extra hours kip. That always goes down well. Yeah, not um, never complain when there's an extra hour in bed. Never, yeah, absolutely. And uh, where, have you, where have you been on duty this weekend? I just working from home, um, just covering the um, Blues Cheaters game. wasn't uh, wasn't pleasant viewing, to be honest. I know that's uh, that sounds like it's one of those games that you're glad that at least you're, you're covering it from home. I, I suppose you know if, you, if you're covering it away, you know I suppose at least you have a little trip to South Africa out of it. But um, yeah, it's it spares you going out in this in this cold uh, cold autumn weather. Yeah. Right, before we get underway, quick thank you to our sponsors at So Coffee Trades. Make sure you head over to socoffeetrades.co.uk for not only great coffee, but you can get yourself some cups, merchandise, even reusable pods. So make sure you do check that out. Right, part A, first part of the show, fact or fiction. Uh, most listeners will be aware this is where we debate series of statements and uh, we decide whether they're true or false. Uh, right, we're going to start with this one then, Steph. Wales's performance are more important than the results this autumn. Fact or fiction? Fiction. Interesting. Because I think, um, obviously, I, I look. I, I don't. I remember when Steve Hansen was coach of Wales, and <laughs> um, a lot of people misunderstood him when he said, "I oh, suppose the performance." Yeah. But what he was getting at was, 
you know, Wales aren't good enough to win games without having a good performance. The All Blacks are, for example. Ireland probably are at the moment. But Wales aren't. If Wales perform well, um, yeah. then they'll have a good chance of beating Australia and South Africa. But if they don't, then then obviously they won't. But I, I do think, you know, if you look at sides that have had successful World Cups, um, you know, to get in, they need to, to believe that they can win big games under pressure when it comes to these big World Cup knockout mm. games. And I just think that, you know, Wales need to, to get that psychological barrier out of the way against Australia. I mean, obviously, you know, they, they could lose and still beat them in the World Cup, but, you know, recent history tells us that that's probably unlikely and, and they you really need to get rid of that barrier. Um, so I, I think it's one and the same, really, performance and results. If they play well, they're, they're good enough to beat um, South Africa and Australia if they're at their best. But realistically, obviously, the, the victory always comes first. Yeah, it's it's one of those as well, isn't it, where it just seems that every time these narrow defeats take place, particularly against Australia, it's questioned time and time again. And it, I don't think it matters who who's there answering the question, whether it's Warren Gatland, whether it's Salomon Wynne jones you know, Sam Warburton in the past, you know, they always kind of give that same response. No, 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 I don't think it's there. But it must be. You know, you think how close some of those games have been in the past. For me, they, they, you know, it, it, there must still be that element of, of doubt there when it comes to, when it comes to beating the, the Southern Hemisphere nations. Yeah, absolutely. And it's the same in anything, really. I mean, I don't know whether you've ever suffered with like a phobia or anything like that, but when when you're afraid of something, you get that sort of mental block mm. in any walk of life, and the only way to get rid of it is by facing it head on and effectively overcoming it the hard way. And that's what Wales are going to have to do. And you know we've seen it time and time again where Wales are in the commanding position against Australia. Um, you know they played well. They, in a lot of these games they've lost, they've been the better side for about 70 minutes. Yeah. You've got to give credit to Australia because they've got brilliant individual players, even when they're not great as a collective. But, you know, most of these tight games they've lost because of their own errors, because not necessarily always in the last five minutes or the closing stages of the game, but earlier on in the game, they've been on top in a lot of these games and they just haven't quite had that killer instinct. And you've all, you always get the sense when Wales fall short against Southern Hemisphere nations that Wales are very good in putting themselves into a position to win their games. But they're not great again themselves over that line. And you always, I always think that if Australia, South Africa, and well, certainly New Zealand are in those positions, then they'd have scored two or three tries and mm. it would have been a comfortable victory. Obviously, we've, we've overcome the South Africa hurdle, although they'd be a lot better this autumn, obviously. But um, I think we, we really do need to... Um, to cast aside really that uh, that psychological barrier that's currently preventing us beating Australia. How do you do it though? Again, if you're you know if you're Warren Gatland, Steph, or you know any of the the other coaches in that setup, what are you saying to the players to try and help them get over that? Yes, you know I I don't know. That's the honest <laughs> answer. Um, I think you know coaches can you know they can. They can coach players or teach players effectively in how to, um, what to do in this situation, what to do in that situation, how to pass, how to kick, all that sort of thing. But I really don't, not really sure how you can tell a player, how you can sort of coach a player, mm. teach a player to, to um, not to lose his bottle. Basically, I'm not sure how 
how you can do that. I know a lot of sites, I think Wales included in the past, you know, they've they've always they put a lot of emphasis on bringing in um, specialists that um, you know work on the mental side of things. But obviously, I'm I'm not really qualified to speak about that, am I? But certainly, um, yeah, I, you know, there is definitely a barrier there, and that's got to be broken down. How they do that, I'm not really sure to be honest. I almost think that you kind of it feels like there's these, a little bit of luck going into going into one of these games, you know, in kind of almost a a key decision or a key moment, just getting that bounce of the ball that that helps them get over the line. And then I kind of feel like once you've got that result, it's then there you've you've kind of broken the curse, as it were. And then you you know you go into that next game in the in the Rugby World Cup, and it, it feels like the you know the the hoodoo's been lifted then. So you know whether it's the, the bounce of a ball or a slightly fortunate refereeing decision, you kind of feel like it, for me one of those things could be enough to to get the result and um, and make it that bit easier going into the World Cup. Yeah, absolutely. And well, you know, we've seen it time and time again. I mean, you know, in football and rugby, you get sides who can't can't get a win against a certain side for love nor money, and then suddenly they 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 get that first win, might be an ugly win, and then the next two or three times they play, they they, they tend to go on a roll because they know they can beat that side. I mean, Wales have got to beat Australia at some point. Mm. A lot of averages will, will tell you that. But what I worry about is that better Welsh sides than the current one have played Australia and, and lost in recent years. Yeah. And for me, even though Australia, you know, if you read their press, are in a state of crisis, they've still got some outstanding individual players. And, you know, there's no doubt, even in this state, that they're, they're the favourites going into that game. And we've been here before as well, haven't we? We've been here before with Australia in uh, in crisis, coming over for the Autumn Internationals and either getting the result or putting it right ahead of Rugby World Cup. They seem to have this uncanny knack of turning up. I, and again, you know, to go back to mentality, I feel like it's that Australian sporting mentality that more often than not, Australian sporting sides, whatever the sport, turn up for the major events in good nick. And it seems like there's just that dogged Australianness about them that that means that when it comes to the big thing, they, they tend to be able to put their put their worries behind them. Yeah, and I mean, you, you know, you go back before the last World Cup, and, you know, and the one, you know, Australia, they haven't, they've had similar runs of form mm. prior to the last couple of World Cups. Maybe this is slightly worse, but last World Cup it was similar. And they ended up getting to the final. Yeah. Lost, lost to, you know, they, they weren't disgraced, were they? You know, they lost to a, a great all black side. So, for me, they're, they're very dangerous in the World Cup. Because, as I said, they're not firing as a collective at the moment. But, individually, there's some serious world-class players on that side. And I think you write them off for your pair, really, didn't you? Yeah, no, I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. And, like you say, the results kind of speak for themselves over the last 10 years. We're going into into the, the 10 year anniversary of the, the last win over Australia and that would be a, a pretty timely uh, a pretty timely win to, to get over them so yeah hopefully uh, that that will be the case and um, and yeah like you say kind of the, the hoodoo broken but one other thing I wanted to touch on was we've often said in the past that Wales kind of come into the autumn undercooked you know we've seen some really I think back to that Australia game in 2016. We, we were absolutely dire in that first game, and we've often said that they kind of need to, you know, need to kind of 
warm up almost and with them being slow starters. Do you think a game like a game against Scotland is something that, that will that will help in that regard, you know, not going in up against a South Africa, New Zealand or, uh, or Australia first up? Um, yeah, I, th- I think that, that could well be the case. I mean, I think Scotland is the case for Scotland as well. I mean, there's no getting away from the fact that we've been poor starters, mm. um, even in Six Nations campaigns. Um, even when we've won Grand Slams, we tend to have quite a poor, you know, if you go back to 2013, you know, when we just stepped home against Ireland, yeah. And then we ended up winning it, and everybody knows what happened against England. It's happened a few times, hasn't it? Um, and, you know, in the autumn, as you said, that Australia game, we were rubbish in, and ended up getting better and better the more the more the players were in camp. But it doesn't seem to be a problem for a lot of other sides. Mm. You know, like of England and Ireland always hit the ground running, which is, you know, which is a bit, you know, makes you think that it's not really an excuse, really, but... Certainly, there's no, as I said, there's no getting away from the fact that we have been slow starters, and this Scotland test has got a real low-key feel to it. It's got a yeah. friendly feel to it, hasn't it? It has, really. There's an argument that it shouldn't be a, a, a capped international, in my opinion. Um, and yeah, I mean, Warren Gatland might experiment a little bit, and you know, ho- you know, it should be an opportunity to sort of blow the cobwebs away for both sides, really. Yeah, it's an interesting one, I think, particularly when it comes to, to team selection, and we're going to be getting your thoughts on that uh, a little bit later on in the in this podcast. Uh, but let's move on to talk about the Lions for a sec, Steph, because obviously a big, big announcement um, this week with the, the Lions tour schedule being uh, being cut down for the, for the next tour. Uh, so I wanted to debate this one with you. The changes to the Lions tour schedule are putting the future of the event in doubt, fact or fiction? Fact, I think. Mm. Um, how can you deny it really I mean I mean um, you know look um, the difference between the Lions and any other sort of um, invitational side if you want to use that term you know like, like the Barbarians mm. for example is, is is obviously the if you look at any successful Lions tour you know you look at if you look at 97 and you watch that Living with Lions DVD it's it's the preparation time. It's not just the training on the field. It's the sort of the activities they do to mm. bond with the group and and all that sort of thing, like all sharing rooms and going out on the on the piss and that sort of thing. You know, it's 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 incredibly. You speak to anyone who's been on a Lions tour. It's incredibly important in terms of actually winning the Test series because um, you could have the the most ridiculous World 15, you know, you could pass, you could put, put like a World 15 with like a Pocock, Falau, etc., mm. Ben Smith, Bowden Barrett, you know, go on and on. And they could, you, you know, you, you could give them limited preparation time and they'd still, you know, be pretty useless if they came up against a well-drilled side yeah. um, with inferior players. So, you know, to have the preparation time cut is, is a huge, huge... Um, you know, it's, it's a huge blow to the, to the Lions, and it sets a precedent as well to, to you know, to, to the the clubs. If if we want to use that sort of narrative, that if they push and they push, then they can get them to to let you know to shorten the length of the tours. And but I do think it's important as well. Um, you know, it's important not to purely uh, um, paint the clubs as the bad guys because mm. they've got a legitimate argument themselves, haven't they? At the end of the day, right? It is a professional sport. They pay these players. They yep. pay the likes of Maroi Torje. 
they pay the likes of Billy Van and if they won't pay in, and they'd be playing in France, and they'd have an even bigger problem. So, they, even though I, I disagree with what they've done, right, I do think that they have got a legitimate argument, and I do think that the international boards, sorry, the, the international sides, I do think in the past that they haven't, that, that, that they contributed towards this, because they haven't, they've always had the, the mindset of our oh, international rugby is the be all and mm. end all, but it isn't. If that's the case, it's built on sand. International rugby is a pinnacle of the sport. It's what, if there's no international rugby, there's no rugby, obviously, because that's what, what that's what somebody, say there's a rugby fan in Japan and you're trying to grow the game, that, those yeah. are the games they'll, they'll go to. But ultimately, as I said, these clubs, they pay these players a, a lot of money, and if they're paying them that amount of money, then they got every right to have a say, and I think that the the, the, interna- the, the unions are as guilty as them, as far as I'm mm. concerned. Is there any uh, is there any hope? Do you think that that this could be something that that develops? Okay, we know what it's going to be like for the next tour, but after that, you know, we we could see a shift in in the way that international rugby is played. You know, certainly, I think there there seems to be a, a willingness right from the very very top of of world rugby to to try and push towards this global season. Could we get to a position further on in the future whereby actually we found that we found that perfect solution for for what happens in the um, in the Lions in the Lions years, or do you just think that the precedent has been set by the clubs pushing and getting what they want? It is possible. I mean, I think most people would want a global season, wouldn't they? It's, mm. just, it's just everybody's got a different version of what a global season looks like. That's the problem, and that's why it's hard to see to see a perfect solution. But I just think, obviously, as I said, it's a professional sport, and the clubs have a valid point, right? But I do think that you know the Lions is one of the only aspects of the amateur game that can mm. be brought into the professional game because it's got an immense in, there's immense interest in the Lions it, not just in the UK and Ireland but obviously in the countries they tour for example yeah. well, what other sporting institution can bring apart from you know in a cup final or something can bring 40, 50,000 fans the other side of the world. I mean, you can't travel further than New Zealand, can you, for example? No, exactly. And you're, you're right, it's, it's one of those aspects, but it's not just, obviously the, the tradition is a huge part of it, but really what keeps everyone at the very top of the unions interested is the commercial viability of it. And like you say, you know, it's a massive, it is a massive money spinner for New Zealand, not just as a, as a rugby governing body, but as a, as a nation, you know, like you say, you have 40,000 people turn up for six weeks. They drink in all the pubs, they eat in all the restaurants, they, they're in all the, the hotels. It is financially a hugely, a hugely important thing, but it, it just does seem that it's becoming more and more difficult to, to be able to accommodate. It is, but as I said, even though I, I understand where the clubs are coming from and they need to be listened to seriously, I just think it would be a, an absolute disgrace at the same time if it wasn't a Lions tour because it's what legends are made of. I mean, yeah. you, you ask, like, I remember watching an interview with Martin Johnson and Lawrence Delaglio, and um, it was on sort of, um, I can't remember what it was on, but it wasn't really, they weren't really talking to a rugby audience, they yeah. talked to a general audience, and the presenter said, it's the greatest achievement in sport 
in, in your sport, in your rugby career, and obviously they expected to say, them to say 2003. Yeah. Both didn't even have to think of it. 97 Lions Tour. I know, that's it. You know, that is and, it. And that seems to be the, the, the consensus among the players, and I just think it'd be a huge shame. There's no point going to love the English players. All this nonsense about just making the Celtic Lions all mm. our rubbish. You know, when you go on the Lions tour, you're, you're a lion. You know, you're not English, Welsh, Scottish or Irish. You're, you're a lion. And, you know, without the English players, and, 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 you know, if the English players aren't, you know, they're coming in late and, and, and whatnot and, and they can't prepare properly, then it's going to seriously hinder their chances because, you know, I, I just think it, it would be a huge, huge... It would be a disgrace, really, to have no Lions to it. Yeah, no, I, I think you're absolutely right. As we've said there, though, I, I don't think we're going to get to that stage purely because of the commercial interest in it. I just hope that we're able to find a happy medium that, that is able to appease the clubs, but really does uh, look after and preserve that, that tradition of the Lions. Because, like I say, it is, it is the pinnacle. It's, it's so unique. You don't have this in, in other sports, and it it is, it is the stuff that legends are made of. You're right. There's, I remember when we were doing this podcast in, in 2017, um, you know, kind of Clive Woodward came out and made one of his remarks, you know, presumably to push his, his Daily Mail column. Um, but, you know, in kind of saying that, that the World Cup was always the most important thing to him. But there, there, there aren't many players who support, who support that opinion. And, and that, you're, you're absolutely right. That, to me, just shows how important it is to, to the players we know that the fans feel the same, so yeah, it would be it would be a crying shame to, to see it to see it kind of shortened and cheapened anymore. Yeah, I agree absolutely. Right, let's uh, let's move on to this one then, Steph, and um, yeah, kind of ties into international and club rugby. Uh, Thomas Francis choosing to stay at Exeter shows the sixty cap rule isn't a deterrent, fact or fiction? Fiction. I mean, obviously, it's a deterrent because Ross Moriarty is obviously playing for Exeter now. If the, you know, if the sixty cap rule wasn't uh, wasn't in place, and um, you know, look, I just think the Thomas Francis situation. You know, people are saying, "Oh, there's a loophole." There's no loophole. Mm. He's he's. It's the same. He hasn't signed a new contract. It's the same contract. That contract is an option of an extra two years. Yeah. It's the same contract that was down on paper. You know, if he'd signed a new contract, he'd be, you know, he, he, he'd be an eligible to play for Wales. But obviously, you know, this was in his current contract. So, you know, I, I just think, it's a, for me, it's a non-issue, really. I, I, I think it's clearly a deterrent for, for players leaving Wales. And um, some will still go because some will think, oh, I'm not going to get in the yeah. international side. Or I've played 60 caps. Uh, sorry, I've played 50 or tests. And, you know, I've... Uh, I'm sick of the stick I'm getting in Wales like Cuthbert. I want to go mm. away, um, earn a lot of money, just start being happy and enjoying myself again. So some will make that decision, but certainly it's going to make players stop and think and uh, not an issue for me, really, at this one. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I don't know. I, I don't know whether I would see it as a, as a loophole or, or not, to be honest, Steph. I just wonder whether, um, you know, I wonder whether there's... There are other there are other contracts out there, and obviously you, you know you you don't know that. Um, but I wonder whether there are other contracts out there with with something with something similar that just has a an extension clause as part of it. And um, I don't know. I, I suppose I guess the thing is it, it's just not clear and, and transparent, and it's never going to be because 
their players' personal contracts. You know, that's between a player and a, a player and a club. So you're never going to be able to know necessarily the ins and outs of all of it. Um, yeah, I just wonder whether, you know, it's very, very easy, particularly for the, I guess, the more casual fans to look at this and go, well, hang on a minute. How come it's one rule for one? But, you know, Reese Webb, who seemed to have legitimate claims to, to kind of not understood the implications of leaving when he did sign the contract. Um, you know, a player who's obviously had given a, a huge amount of time to rugby in Wales and, you know, has certainly missed a lot of international caps through injuries that he's, that he's picked up playing for Wales, isn't allowed to play. So I, I don't know, it's, it, it's a slightly tough one. I, for me, it's, it's a little bit more than a, than a non-issue. I, I just think it, it comes back to these kind of grey areas and, and cloudy bits that just make it a little bit, a little bit murky for the fans. This Reese Webb, um, oh, oh, to cry, <laughs> it annoys me a little bit because there's no comparison. The fact of the matter is, you know, he he can't play for Wales because he has over 60 caps. And, yeah. and that, that's, that's the end of it, really. Um, you know, he's the best Welsh from half and it's a crying shame, crying shame that he's not playing for Wales. Uh, I'd love him to play for Wales, but if he wants to play for Wales, he needs to come back to Wales mm. and that's... That, you know, in, when you had that, that so-called Gatlin's law in the past, you know, nobody knew, knew where they stood. But no, it's clear. If you haven't got 60 caps, you know, you, you can't leave Wales and still play for Wales. And play, players have all got a choice. You know, some players will go for the money and some players will, will go for a different lifestyle. And good luck to them. But, you know, you can't always have your cake and eat it. And, and I just think people who are comparing... Francis' situation to Webb's situation are misinformed because there's, there literally is no comparison. Webb hasn't got 60 caps, so he can't play for Wales, and Francis effectively is still under contract, so he can. So for me, it's, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I, just, I just think people need to move on, really. Yeah, look, I mean, playing devil's advocate to a certain point here, Steph, and yeah, you know, I'm very much in that camp as. As I've said a number of times, I would love to see Reese Webb playing for Wales. Um, but, you know, hopefully we will get to that situation some point in the future. I mean, I, I agree. I, I think that this is, this is a slightly different one because, because like you say, it's, it's easy to go, well, his contract's expiring, he's signing, he's signing a new one. But the legality is, is, it's a, is it is an extension. And I suppose that the thing with, um, the thing with Webb is I, I, I think it, they, they kind of really, the, the World Trade Union kind of went to make, a, to make a point and say, right, you know, if we're not going to pick a player of Reese Webb's calibre, um, then, you know, kind of let that, let that be. You know, this, is, this is the line in the sand being drawn. He's not going to be able to play um, and, until he returns to Wales. So I think that, you know, that the, the main point is it is a lot clearer and it's certainly um, a much bigger a much bigger deterrent. And to be honest, you probably hit the nail on the head in the first statement because I don't think Ross Moriarty would be playing for the Dragons uh, uh, if, this was, uh, if this was still an option. So, um, yeah, I, I, think, I think all in all, it, it probably is going to encourage players to, to ply their trade in, uh, in Wales and that naturally makes it a bit easier for the, uh, for the national side. Right, still to come, Steph, uh, Steph's going to be picking his, uh, his side for the Scotland game. We'll be talking about that. Uh, as I mentioned at the top of the show, we've got an interview with... Bridgend Wales and Lions hero Gareth Williams' son, and we'll also answer listeners' questions. So all of that is coming up very, very shortly.
Right, last one on fact or fiction, Steph. And it is this one. Rumours that Corey Hill is set to play at six during the autumn should be a concern for Wales fans. Fact or fiction? Fact. Because I think um, this... I understand in a way because even though we have an embarrassment of riches in the background, mm. you know, it, it, there's only a certain amount of players you can take to, to a World Cup and yeah. you do need first-time players, but I, I don't... I, I don't see Hill as a as a back row. I've got to be honest. No, I don't. In in the past, they've this coaching team have you know they, they they've got it wrong and they've they've hint, they, they've held players back. Obviously, in the main, they've, they've had more things right than wrong. But mm. in the they have in the past, they have got it wrong with certain players. Like they moved Rodri Jones from the loose side to the tight dead, yep. ruined his career. James King, they moved all over the place. Jonathan Thomas did. Um, I'm really concerned with Seb Davis' situation. He's never number eight. He's a lock, isn't he? Hundred um, percent. One of the most talented players we have in this country. You know, speak Nick Williams was telling me he's nailed on to be a British lion. I mean, probably a bit over the top, but you, you know, clearly he's a bloke of huge potential. But yeah. they're moving him all over the place. And Hill, Hill has really shocked me how good he is because I, I didn't need to rate him, but he's been yeah. you know standing for Wales. And but he's a lock. He's, he's not. He's not a back rower. And I think, well, if you want versatility, Josh Turnbull is playing well for the yeah. Blues. Uh, well, hopefully, Aaron Shingle will be fit. I just, you know, at the same time, you've got Ollie Griffiths and Thomas Young absolutely tearing it up. You know, they, they deserve an opportunity in the back row ahead of Hill. Hill's a lock, you know. And, and when you move in players, when you shunt in players around, around the pack into uncomfortable situations, then... It's, it's going to hinder the development, and I just think it's a waste of time, to be honest. Yeah. yeah, I do, and I think if you fast forward to next year, and you know, let's be honest, right? If Corey Hill does a job at six, it will be in the lesser of the the pool stage games, right? It's not going to be yeah. it's not going to be in a World Cup quarter final. If we get an injury uh, and we need a, and we need someone to play six, and during the um, during a World Cup quarter final, someone's going to get flown out there. And the, and the yeah. chances are it will be <laughs> Ollie Griffiths, Thomas Young, someone who has missed out this autumn and doesn't have a huge amount of international rugby to their name. So for me, it's, it's a, an absolute no-brainer that you would, get in, you would get in one of those players to play this autumn, um, you know, just to get them in the camp, used to, used to, um, used to the, the international rugby setup. I know they've got a couple of caps to their name, but just get them further in there, get used to some of those training drills, and keep them close to the international setup. Yeah, you know, I think it would have to be an absolute emergency for for Corey Hill to to play six. And you know, realistically, he is at the moment. Um, he's Wales's first choice lock pairing with with Alan Wynne Jones, and that's built yeah. on good club performances. Um, you know, in a in a struggling club side, and then his kind of ability to have. You know, when he was first called up to Wales, again, I thought, oh, well done to the fella. But I thought, you know, he'd be a peripheral figure. Yeah, and, the, and the fact that he just keeps getting better and better and improving and, and kind of, you know, proving everyone wrong, I think is, is testament to how well he's played. So it's not even as if he is a, he is like, you know, a third or fourth choice lock who's not going to be playing the, the, big, um, the big autumn games. So to be honest, like, yeah, I, I'm with you on this one. I hope it's not the case because 
I just don't, I just don't see him being an international six. Like you know, likewise the Seb Davis thing. We tried him at six and at eight, and he, it doesn't it doesn't look comfortable. He's a very versatile lock in terms of his skill set. He's got great hands and he's good over the ball, but he's undoubtedly a lock. Um, and I just think yeah, just play players in their positions, and, and particularly in the back row where we've just got so many players. Um, you know, and even now in the midst of a something of a um, it's not an injury crisis purely because of the number of the players who um, who are there. You know, we've just got so much depth in that. Let's 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 play to that and give some of those lads a chance. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree, hundred percent. Couldn't have put it better myself. Um, as you said, he's currently wears his first choice lock. Although I personally pick Jake Ball, but that's another argument. <laughs> but still, you know, he, he's currently the man in possession. He's a very important member of the squad. Why why would you hinder his progress? putting him in a completely alien position bonkers I think yeah how much um, how much truth do you think there is in it Steph do you think it's just a bit of um, you know it's just a bit of kind of hearsay at this stage or do you think there is some some real um, some real kind of intent to give it a go during the autumn well I, I was actually off last week so I wasn't in the press conferences but um, McBride said it on the record didn't he so Surely it's, something, it's obviously something that's uh, entered yeah. his mind, otherwise he wouldn't have said it. But I, yeah, um, I'd be disappointed if they, they did try it, because I just think, you know, if they got time to give him a go, they got time to give Thomas Young a go. So. Yeah, absolutely. I think we were yeah, pretty unanimous on that one. Right, yeah, you mentioned a couple of, couple of selections there, Steph, and uh, picking Jake Ball, that's kind of teasing the, the side that uh, that you would pick for, for Scotland. That's something I was keen to get your thoughts on. Uh, let's, uh, yeah, let's, let's, let's hear it. What would your line-up be if you were in Gatland's position right now? Um, for the Scotland game, mm-hmm. half-penny full-back. Yep. Um, George North. And I think I'd probably give Luke Morgan um, a start. Okay. Uh, Steph Evans isn't, well, he hasn't a chance to play well, but there's obviously a reason he hasn't been getting picked by the Scarlet, so I'd give Luke Morgan a go. Yep. Midfield. Um, I, I probably... Parks is out of form, but I'd probably give him the bend for the doubt for the first game. Yeah. Uh, with Owen Williams... Oh, sorry, Owen Watkins snapping at his heels and, and he'd be partnered by Jonathan Davis. Yeah. Just, just to get that combination going uh-huh. at test level. Uh, at half-back, um, obviously, Gareth Anscombe kind of pretty much nailed on the start at mm-hmm. 10. Um Thomas Williams is playing well, but I think Gareth Davis is probably just going to keep his place um, up front. Rob Evans hasn't played much. So I'd probably give Nicky Smith a start, as Lou said. Um, Samson, the tight dead, he's playing well. Um, at the moment, he's the strongest scrummager, I think, than Dylan Lewis. Ken Owens, Hooker, um, Jake Ball and Ali Winlock. I like Corey Hill, but Ball adds a bit more grunt and mm-hmm. I think a um, bit, bit, bit of a better balance there. Back row, then I would pick uh, Ellis Jenkins if he's fit at six, Chipper at seven, and you have to have Moriarty at eight. Mm. And join the bench as well. Yeah, go for it. Elliot D, um, Wynne Jones, uh, Dylan Lewis, Corey Hill, Lydiate, uh, Thomas Williams, Jared Evans, and well, I don't know. Um, Owen Watkin. Owen Watkin. Yeah, that's, I, I don't think mine would be a million miles different from that. I actually 
would be tempted to give Thomas Williams a run out. I think this is the kind of game that that would really suit him. And I think as much as it's, you know, obviously Gareth Davis is, you know, is proven international class. We saw what he, you know, what he could do at the last World Cup. And obviously he's, he's got a hat full of tries for Wales. And, you know, again, I often find myself watching the Scarlets thinking, bloody hell, Davis, you know, in the first 20 minutes of a game, I think bloody hell, Davis is having a stinker here. His kicking's not great. And then he pops up and scores a try and nothing. Um, so, you know, he's, he's going to be undoubtedly a, a strong contender. I think probably is still favourite at the moment. But I just think, I don't think it'd be a bad position to have two players really kind of vying for that, vying for that shirt. And I think Thomas Williams' form has been, um, has been good enough at the start of this season to to warrant that. So I would probably go with with that one. I would stick with Corey Hill over um, over Jake Ball at the moment. Um, but yeah, I definitely get your argument because I suppose the if you look at that back row, it's um, it's only really got one one ball carrier in it, hasn't it? You know, I know Ellis Jenkins is Ellis Jenkins and Justin Tipper are, are great athletes and good, and good footballers, but yeah, you you kind of probably reliant on. Um, probably reliant on on Moriarty to do the bulk of the ball carrying there but I, I don't know I'd, I'd probably trust Corey just to, to still do a job in that one but again it's a good it's a good dilemma to be in really isn't it when you've got um when you've got a player like Hill who's come in and done a, such a good job in um in Ball's absence and then when he he comes back you've you've again you've got those players vying for position yeah absolutely but Corey Hill is a might be a, a better sort of rugby player, but in terms of the nuts and bolts of the game, I mean, Jake Ball is the best. He's a different level in terms of his ball carrying. Apparently, he's a good scrummager as well, I'm told. Um, so he's going to add a bit more bulk, maybe. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if you watch him play for the Scarlets, they, they, when he's not playing, he's arguably the most important player, William and Patrick, because when he's not playing, they, they seem underpowered up front. And I'm, I'm not saying Hill, Hill is a very good player, but when the going gets tough, Mm. I, I'd rather ball next to me in the trenches, personally. Yeah, no, I'd look, I think there's 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 not a, there's not a huge amount in it, um, to be honest. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I suppose there's a slight horses for courses element with this as well. Yeah, I, I, I I kind of feel like Scotland is the game. You know, if it was South Africa first up, I think I probably would be going Jake Ball there, um, just because you know you're in for that. Yeah. You're in for that that massive kind of uh, that massive collision up front, but yeah, you know, to be honest, again, these are kind of these are nice problems to have. Just to fast forward it quickly to, to Warren Gatland's team selection, um, do you see any changes in there from the side you picked to, to what Gatland will pick? Um, I think, yeah, I don't know. I mean, he, he's uh, Jake Ball's more traditionally more his type of player, isn't mm-hmm. he? Um, but you know, I know he raised Corey Hill highly, and he's a man in possession, and he's quite loyal. I'd probably go for Lydiet, maybe. Um, but yeah, I don't think it'd be that much different, to be honest. Did the uh, did the Lydiet inclusion surprise you? This is something we touched upon last week with with Dan on last week's podcast. Um, or do you, you know, did that? Did you just think, well, you know, he's, he's one of Gatlin's favourites, and it's no surprise to see him in there? surprise me at all as you said he's one of Gatlin's favourites and Gatlin's a loyal man when you've got credit in the bank it, it counts um, and you know I, I think he was very lucky because Thomas Young's on fire or he mm. on fire and he's had a lot of injuries but I think what's in his favour as well is that Young and Griffiths are, are similar to Jenkins and Tipperick to an extent and Lydia is your traditional he is isn't he and I 
I got to be honest, I, I much prefer traditional six to playing two sevens. I like the balanced back row, mm. traditional back row. So I think, you know, that that's that and how good he's been in the past is probably why what, what got him a nod really over those two and another contenders. Yeah, no, I, I think generally I'm with you. I, I, I'm not opposed to seeing to seeing two sevens play, um, just providing yeah that you do get that that you do get that balance. Um, because yeah, ultimately you've you know you've always got to have someone who's who's able to to get that grunt in order for you to to get the opportunities to get over the ball and win turnovers and penalties as well. So yeah, it's um it is it is all about finding that balance, I think. But um yeah, I don't know. There is a, there is a level of excitement of um of seeing of seeing two sevens out of there because on their day, you know, I think both those players, both Tipperick and Jenkins, can be can be so destructive that that it can you know it can take sides apart. So yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, I think they're they're exciting options we've got this autumn. Yeah, absolutely. And as you said, it's you know, probably be a bit of horses for courses, and it's, it's Scotland first up. I mean, yeah. obviously you want to win, but um, you know, there's a chance to sort of mix them up a little bit. Um, so yeah, but yeah, it's a nice uh, nice uh, selection to line to have, I think, because we haven't really had much in the past, do we? No. No, we haven't. And yeah, yeah, you know, we mentioned that game against uh, against Australia two years ago. We mentioned that about 20 minutes ago. You know, again, we were we were scratching a, scratching around for for players at, at that point. Um, so yeah, it's good to see two years down the line a lot more depth and a lot more players who've got that that experience at the top level. So yeah, hopefully it'll uh, it'll mean that we're in for a, we're in for a decent start and a decent autumn campaign. Right, we're going to answer some listeners' questions uh, soon. But first up, uh, we've just got time now for, uh, for my interview with Mark Williams, Gareth Williams' son. Uh, so, yeah, we're going, to, we're going to cut straight to that now. And uh, here's what, and what he had to say in our chat earlier. Uh, right, so yeah, we're really, really keen to hear about uh, what you've got lined up on um, on the 9th of November uh, in memory of uh, in memory of Dad. So yeah, if you tell us tell us a little bit about all the fundraising activity you've uh, you've got lined up in a couple of weeks' time. Yeah, um, well, since since Dad passed away in May, we've been doing a number of fundraising uh, uh, f- fundraising things, and mm. we've, we've got initially on the 9th of November. During the daytime, we've got a Legends lunch with um, Wales's Jamie Roberts and Australia's David Campesi, which Rupert Moon is uh, is hosting. Mm-hmm. That's, <laughs> that's been set up by the by Welsh charity Vets um, and Martin Lewis, who runs them. Um, that's in, in Cardiff. Um, it should be a good good day for all. Um, it's, it's for the Kidney Kidney Wales um, charity as well as MSA Trust. Yeah, the patron of Kidney Wales. So it's a, an opportunity to get two two good causes together and, and raise a bit of money for both. Yeah, two fantastic causes, and uh, yeah, you shouldn't be short of a of an anecdote or two, particularly when you have got David Campisi on the panel. No, it should, it should be a cracker, and it's, it's the day before Wales face Australia as well. So we're hoping to get a lot of the Australian supporters that are coming over. There are still tickets available. We're, we're hoping to get a lot of them there and, and have a bit of a crack. And uh, yeah, so. Uh, I suppose anyone who's anyone who's thinking of uh, of heading down to that event, how can they how can they get involved and make sure they uh, they don't miss out on getting a ticket? Yeah, if they um, they, they go on to Twitter or Facebook, mm-hmm. um, Welsh Charity Vets are the people that are organising it, um, or if they look on our own Twitter page, which is 
at sam571msa. Mm-hmm. Um, all the information's on there. Just send me a message and, and I'll, I'll give any information that's needed. It's £55 a ticket, table of 10 for 550 and we've still got limited tickets available, but if anyone's interested, contact us. Fantastic. And we'll, um, we'll make sure we tweet out that link as well. So, uh, yeah, we'll keep, that, we'll keep that on our Twitter handle, so hopefully no one can, uh, no one can, can miss that. And, yeah, you mentioned there the, the Twitter account being Sam571. Um, of course, the significance of that being that was your, that was your dad's number for, uh, number for the Lions. And I think it's been a really nice... Um, Nice activity that the Lions have, have done this year in, in sending out those those caps to uh, to all the yeah to all the family and all the players who've, who've represented the, the Lions. There must be a huge amount of uh, of pride in your family of uh, of what your dad achieved uh, in that jersey. It, it was fantastic. Obviously, Dad toured um, 1980, so it was the year before I was born. Um, he was uncapped, went out to the Lions, played in six tour games, didn't quite make a test, but won six from six. So. It's, it's something that, you know, felt that the family have always been very proud of. And in, in relation to the caps, as, as fitting as it, as, as it was tragic, um, Dad passed away on the 12th, mm. uh, 12th of May, and the cap arrived on the 11th of May. So he was able to see it. Oh, fantastic. To recognise what it was. And, and, and it, was, it was a lovely thing that, that he received. So I've seen a lot of the, the other Lions getting their caps over the recent weeks, recent months. And it just shows what a what a small fat rugby family it is. Is you know, the, considering they've been going well over a hundred years, the 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 amount of people that have been capping them, I, I think it's something like six hundred nod, which is yeah. ridiculous for that amount of time. Yeah, I mean it's it's amazing, and that was something else I was going to ask you was kind of you know kind of how much has the has the rugby community helped and kind of rallied around since um, since the loss of your dad? Since since his passing, we've we've had a lot of engagement with with. Bridgend Rugby Club mm. predominantly. Um, he was a one-club man, although people will correct me. He made his debut originally for Nice, but, <laughs> one them. but he was he was Bridgend through and through. If you cut him, he bled blue and white. Yeah. So he, he played for them for a number of years, um, and, and the rugby club have been phenomenal. Um, it's the 40th anniversary this year of the, the, the 1978 game against New Zealand. Um, which Bridgen lost, but was marred by a, quite a nasty incident with JPR getting stamped on. Yeah, of course. It's the iconic image of, of him covered in blood. Um, so it's their 40th anniversary of that this year. Um, so working alongside Bridgen Rugby Club, we've pulled together to, to celebrate two things, really. Firstly, um, the, the, the 40th anniversary, but secondly, Dad's life. So we, we've used that as an opportunity to get a, a memorial game going which is, again, on the 9th of November. It's on the evening of the 9th of November. Fantastic. And, uh, yeah, tell us who, who can expect to see turning out in that one. Well, again, it's been set up with, um, with, with all of the assistants, or, or, or Martin Lewis with the Welsh Charity Vets running it. Um, he's got, he set up the, the team, I think it was about 18 months ago, um, to raise money for a number of, of charities, and he's got a very good player base. So, at the moment, we've released the information on certain players. We've got two British Lions. We've got Alan Bateman and Colin Jarvis playing. Amazing. Um, we've also got Jamie Ringer, um, who was a, was a, a back row forward, a, a seven full bridge end before he went on to, to the Newport Dragons. I say, I remember him at the Dragons very well. And, you know, you know in, in terms of the Welsh um, connection, we've got, we've got a couple of the World Cup sevens um, winning side from Dubai. Um, We've got Carl Hawking, who played rugby league for Wales, and we've got we've got a, a good core of 
well, veterans they call themselves, but I think they're fitter now than they were in my head with this. So we've got a, we've got a lot of big names coming, a lot of um, a lot of interest. Um, I won't release too many more names because we haven't released them as yet. If that's all right with you, Jen. Yeah, of course. Feed in to try and build a little bit of anticipation. Um, but yeah, we've got we've got a lot of the rugby community gathering around us. A lot of people showing their support. Um, Reese Webb, obviously British Lion, Reese yeah. Webb. Um, he's still making a pair of his match-worn Lions boots, which were auctioned off um, before Dad's passing, but they were auctioned off for a thousand pound, all with all the money going to, to multiple system atrophy trust. So we've got a lot of the rugby community gathering around us, and another Lion, Steve Boyle, um, who I believe was, I think he was 1980 tourist as well. He donated. Um, we were struggling in terms of sponsorship mm. for the jerseys for the game, and he donated the, the the remaining balance so that we could make sure we got the kit together. So it, it just shows that all these years later, we've still got the Lions community coming together, pulling together, and, and all, all 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 aiming to to recognise Dad's efforts and remember him. Oh, it's fantastic to hear, and like you say, obviously it's such a such a good cause as well, um, and I suppose. You know, alongside all the, the fundraising, there is, of course, awareness to be raised about MSA. Are you able just to explain a little bit about um, about what it is so, so our listeners kind of understand a bit more? Yeah, well, and, until Dad was struck down with it, I'd never heard of MSA. Yeah. The way it was described to me at the time is effectively an aggressive form of Parkinson's. Mm. It's a little bit more complicated than that, but it's a neurological disorder. And as the name suggests, it's multiple system atrophy, so atrophy being the, the breakdown the, of, of the body. So the multiple systems, each and every part of your body breaks down until, unfortunately, one of them is de- it ends in death. Mm. So it, there's, there's no real-time scale for it. I remember when Dad was diagnosed with it, after months and months of a lot of questions, nobody knew what it was. He was told five years is, is a good life expectancy, and, and he lasted just over five. So yeah. it, it does. It, it takes them piece by piece, little by little, until well, uh, until there's nothing left. And yeah. for the last last 18 months of his life, he was bedridden, and to see a you know a, a mountain of a man, a giant of a mm. man, in bed, he never once complained, never once moaned, but. The, the illness one, so it's, 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 it's an awful, awful disease. It is, and yeah, obviously then, you know, kind of all the more reason for uh, for anyone to, to, to get involved in. Yeah, for me, any any excuse to see uh, to see Alan Bateman play, doesn't, doesn't matter what age he's at, um, an absolute magician of a player, plus all the other players you've got lined up. Sounds like you're going to have a hell of a day on your hands there. It's, it's, it's going to be a cracker. It's, it's five pound a ticket, so it's, it's, we're, we're aiming to get as many people out there to, to watch it and support the cause, rather than trying to out to, to outprice people. Yeah, it's kids are free entry, so it's, it's five. You know, a, a mother and father can bring their kids for for tenner for a tenner, have a, a good evening out, meet some of the the stars of yesteryear. As I said, it's the, the anniversary of the, the 1978 game, so we've got the likes of JPR and, and a lot of the big names from that day are going to be there as well. So it's, 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 it's an opportunity to meet some real legends of the game, raise awareness, raise some funds for the charity. There's, we've, we've got a, a bespoke cap um, which has been made to celebrate the 40th anniversary of that game, which is going to be raffled off at £5 a ticket. We've got the jerseys that we're wearing. People can buy them with a donation going to charity. So there's, there's an awful lot going on on that, that evening. And it, it's just the start. We, we've, 
we've already run or, or organised virtual 10k races. Um, two of my sisters, Akara and Nia, have run well multiple um, races. Um, London Marathon, um, and Nia's actually run in Paris this year while Ankara runs London. My other sister Claire wrote a book on MSA, so it's it's a real family effort. So. We're trying to get as many people out there aware of the, the disorder, aware of the illness, and to raise as much as we can to stop anyone else going through what we've been through and what Dad went through. Well, it's, it's great to hear, and obviously such uh, such fantastic efforts that that you're all going to. And um, yeah, it's, it's great that there's there is some you know some some really good uh, events that people can get can get involved with and, and help raise money for a, for a fantastic cause. So, Mark, we really appreciate you joining us on the, uh, on the Attacking Scrum. And, uh, yeah, make sure uh, anyone, anyone who's listening in who does fancy that, uh, head, on, head on to Twitter at, um, uh, as we say, we'll, we'll pin them to, uh, to our feed at Attacking Scrum. But also, if you want to check out all the other activity that, uh, that Mark and the family are, are doing, it's at Sam571MSA. And make sure you give that, uh, give that a follow and, and head over there. So, yeah, all the best with that, Mark. And, um, yeah, hopefully we'll, we'll speak to you again very soon. Yeah, fantastic. Thanks, Ed. Thanks for your help, mate. Cheers, mate. Thank you. Right, final part of the show, listeners' questions. We've got a few of these to get through. Um, a few of these to get through, Steph. I'm going to start with this one from Matthew Armstrong. And he simply asked for our thoughts on the story that none of the gate receipts from the Wales versus Scotland game are going to Doddy Weir's charity, despite the game um, you know, essentially being sold in, uh, in kind of Doddy's name. You know, the, the two sides are going to be competing for the, for the Doddy Weir Cup. Um, yeah. Obviously, Matt's keen to keen to get your thoughts on that story. Um, yeah, um, I, 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 I'm not comfortable with it mm. myself, to be honest, because you no, know, obviously, it's built as a sort of game that was, um, you know, going towards Doddy Weir and and you know others that that are suffering the same illness. So mm. that, yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't sit well with me. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, the, the purpose, well, usually the purpose of of the extra autumn international is to raise funds for the the professional game and yeah. the, the grassroots game in Wales. So I suppose it does that. But the fact it's been modelled as the Doddy, sorry, advertised as the Doddy Wea Cup, um, Doddy Wea Cup, sorry, and you know. It starts to feel like a cynical yeah. marketing exercise, doesn't it? You know, and, and particularly, and particularly the fact that you know that obviously Dolly's in in such a you know such a tough position and has um, you know been diagnosed with motor neuron disease. Is doing a huge amount of, of fundraising himself and and his family and a lot of the rugby community. It just does feel a bit cynical to say, okay, we're going to have the Dolly Weir the Dolly Weir Cup in his in his memory, but. There's there's nothing there's nothing financial that, that we're adding to the that we're adding to the pot. It just it then makes you yeah like I said I think cynical is is kind of the the word I'd I'd look at it really and go well you know how can you thank you sell tickets on the back of it when when you're not really contributing to the pot. I'll be I'll be interested to see if there's any response from either of the unions. Yeah, I mean I, I'm sure there, there will be a response from there because the criticism has been so widespread that it, you know it'd be pretty. Um, who are not to respond really, but you know, 
it's it's, an, it's a difficult one, as I said, because you know, obviously, staging these international games, one of the purposes is to to raise funds, isn't it? Um, but yeah, for me, it's uh, does doesn't really sit well, to be honest. No, no, I absolutely agree with you on that one. And uh, yeah, we've got one. Uh, well, in fact, two very similar questions. One coming in from uh, from Yodai the Dragon, and one from Pete Harris. And essentially, they get the same things, which is how can we improve atmosphere and attendances at Pro 14 games? Um, I suppose the easiest answer to this is that the sides start winning more and playing better rugby. I suppose, but I haven't really got an answer to be honest. Mm. Uh, I've been trying, been trying to work out uh, how I uh, can get better attendances for years and uh, going and debating with people, but it's a difficult one. I mean, obviously, as you said, I mean, people want to be associated with successful sides. Uh, Scarless last year. The year before, rather, the season before, rather, won the Pro 12. Mm. Last year, the their average gate was up. And, you know, when they played, um, I know it's a different competition, but played Toulon and La Rochelle, and it was better atmosphere than uh, you, you'd probably get to the Principality Stadium. It was amazing, it was. Um, so, yeah, but I think with the Pro 14 as well, because of the nature of the competition, um, you know, you get less support, uh, less travelling fans. Yeah. In England, you know, Northampton, Leicester, you know, Leicester bring like 5,000 with them, you know, and you don't get that. I mean, if we were playing in England, if we, you know, played, um, three, say you were a Scarlet fan, you mm. back home one week, Northampton away the next, yeah. Leicester, you know, and you had, had all these traditional fixtures where you could easily travel and, you, you know, it wouldn't be expensive to travel, um, and not as expensive anyway. Um, nowhere near, you know, perhaps that, w- that would help, but we're not in that situation. Um, so I think, uh, I haven't really got an answer, but obviously winning and, and, and playing attractive rugby is, is going to help. Um, and I think as well, you know, it's, it's the old argument that a lot of these games are played during an international window. Mm. I remember before I was a journalist, I was, I was a scarlet season ticket holder when I was a kid and, you know, getting the season ticket and looking through the fixtures and you'd see scarlet against Munster and you think, oh, wow, can't wait for that game. You know, Ogara will be playing. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then you look at the teams and you're like, well, you know, can't, I'm struggling to name some of these Manchester players. It's it's a, it's got a lot better in that regard, but I think that also puts fans off. You know, if you had less games and they were played outside the international window, I think that might make a difference. And obviously, the, the, there's the issue as well that football is is fat more popular in Wales. Of course, it is. Yeah. So, you know, there, there's no answer, but certainly the the first priority is uh, is to get four professional sides that are competing to win silverware. I mean, two have already achieved that. Um, so hopefully, um, you know, it will, uh, uh, you know, the other two can uh, can improve as well. Yeah, no, I think that they're all, they're all very, very valid points. And I think in particular, the, you know, I suppose it's, it's still a league that's finding its feet, isn't it? You know, like you said, it's, you have a lot of rugby played during the international window but then you've also had, you know, two sides parachuted in uh, just over a season ago. Again, potentially some more sides joining it in the future. And you obviously, there there is no history really uh, between, you know, between the, the dragons and uh, and the and the cheetahs. You know, it's it's gonna it's gonna take time for the for the competition to kind of find its find its feet in that regard. I kind of almost think as well the the TV coverage to a you know, which is, again, still finding its feet. 
I do think it has helped us to a certain degree having everything under having everything under one roof. All of the, you know, if you if you subscribe to Premier Sports, everything is in there, and they can themselves do a marketing job on all of the games. You know, rather than it just being when it's on BBC Wales, you know, your kind of your only concern is the is the Welsh regions, which, to be honest, is how I've always followed the league. You know, I've I've very rarely sat down and thought, oh, great, you know, Munster uh, Munster are playing. Uh, Munster are playing Edinburgh, that'll be a good game. You know, I might have it on if it was there. Whereas I think actually having it all under one roof from a uh, from a broadcast perspective does give it a bit more of a of an event feel. Um, you know, like a very small scale of um, of like when Sky first took over the the Premier League football, and you just have this abundance of it there, and they can just do that marketing job on it. Obviously, we're talking right down the other end of the spectrum in terms of scale, but. I do think that could be something that helps um, that helps going forward. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I'm personally, I think Premier Sports has done quite a good job at the moment. And I think when when you go to somebody like Sky or Premier Sports, they they tend to, it's you know, when it's something new to them, it it seems to be more important to them as well. So yeah. they do a lot of a lot of work in terms of sexing it up if you want to use that term and. I do now, Steph. I'm definitely going to use that from here on in. Yeah, um, whereas <laughs> when it's been on one channel for quite a while, it's same old, same old. So, uh, yeah, and I think it's all on one channel. You want to watch Pro 14 or on Premier Sports. And, you know, it's 9 99 a month mm. for every single game. That's absolute bargain, isn't it, really? Yeah, it is. I mean, I think uh, I, I've definitely said on this a few times before. My, my main concern about putting it all behind the paywall was you don't have it in that shop window. They've tried to, you know, I think they've tried to address that with putting some of the games on uh, on free sport. Um, you know, again, they, they tend to be the less uh, the less attractive games. But certainly, you know, it is it is a bargain, really. Nine ninety nine, you can watch them all, watch them on demand, and you know, I think that's that's definitely kind of a, a step forward because in the past, you know, even someone who, who follows it as as closely as I do would be going, oh God, which channel is this on tonight? You know, the Cardiff are away at Ulster. Is it on BBC Wales? Is it on BBC Northern Ireland? You know, and you're kind of scrabbling around a bit. And again, that just doesn't help the the casual the casual rugby fan. Whereas actually, if you've got if you if you know where it's going to be, you know that that's you know that's the that's the channel you need. So I think that ease will definitely help in uh in the longer run. Yeah, absolutely. Right. The, the last question we had, I, to be honest, I think we've probably already uh, we've probably already answered, which was are Wales capable of beating Australia, or is it a mental issue? That came through from uh, from Nate. I think we we pretty much uh, addressed that one. Um, do you, do you want to make a make a prediction um, on uh, on the Australia game? Do you think Wales can overcome it this this autumn, Steph? I think they can, but I think Australia are favourites. Okay, fair point. And then what about? This weekend, let's just quickly finish by getting your uh, your prediction for a score for Wales versus Scotland. Uh, I'll go Wales by 12. Okay, pretty pretty comfortable. And I'm going to go. I'm going to think it's going to be a bit tight, and that I'm going to go Wales Wales by five. Uh, and yeah, that pretty much brings us to a conclusion for this week. So thank you very much for listening, Steph. Thanks for uh, thanks for joining us. Fascinating to, to chat to you as always. And uh, yeah, big big thanks to our sponsors as always at SoCoffeeTrades.co.uk. Make sure you head over there. And uh, as you can imagine, we've got loads to talk about over the, po- uh, over the next couple of weeks on the podcast. But if you can't wait for the next one, make sure you, uh, you give us a follow on Twitter at Attacking Scrum. And uh, you can do the same on Instagram and on Facebook. We've got a 
Facebook page that's growing, and we've got a Facebook group, which is simply called Wales Rugby Fans, and that is getting bigger and bigger and bigger every single day, and there's loads of chat on there. So make sure you head over to that. Um, and, uh, yeah, thanks very much for listening. And, Steph, cheers for joining us, and, uh, yeah, we'll chat to you very soon. No worries. Thanks for the invite. Podcast Network.